the world we know is changing. I'm Moira Gunn, and welcome to Biotech Nation. The first generation of immuno-oncology treatments, that is using the immune system to fight cancer, has been highly successful in treating liquid cancers, such as leukemia. But they have been less successful for solid cancer tumors. Candell Therapeutics thinks they may have a solid solution. Dr. Paul Peter Tack is Candell's president and CEO. Dr. Tack, welcome back to the program. Thank you very much. It's great to be here again. Now, I think pretty much everyone has the message that the first generation of cancer drugs, which were known as immuno-oncology treatments, they've only been successful in about 25 to 40 percent of patients, and then primarily in the what we call liquid cancer patients, such as blood cancers, like leukemia. But now there is a real focus on solid tumors. Candell Therapeutics is very much along in addressing a wide range of these solid tumors. And one thing that is very much at the center of your approach is the use of viruses and specifically engineered viruses. How can engineered viruses be used in the treatment of solid tumor cancers? Yeah, viruses, uh, of course, have a very bad reputation after the COVID-19 pandemic because they can make you sick. But you can actually change the properties of a virus. You can engineer them in such a way that they don't cause any harm to the body. And you can use what they're really good at. So what are, what are viruses really good at? They are good at delivering genes to the cells in the human body. So they serve like a postman almost to deliver something that you want to get into the cell. And for our lead compound, which is called Ken2409, we use this property to deliver a gene, and as a result, the cells that have been infected, have been transduced, as it's called, will start to produce an enzyme. And we need that enzyme for the efficacy. So the virus is, in a sense, a delivery vehicle, and it's delivering an enzyme. What's this enzyme doing? What is an enzyme, for starters? Yeah, an enzyme is a molecule that can change another molecule. So here we use this enzyme to activate a tablet, a pill, that the patient will take for a period of two weeks. So our treatment consists of two components, basically. It's the virus that we inject straight into the tumor, right into the tumor, to fight the cancer. And it's combined with a tablet that's taken for two weeks, and that's activated in the tumor after this injection of the virus that will um, um, basically deliver this enzyme. And if I understand this correctly, Candel is using two different viruses. One is an adenovirus, that's A-D-E-N-O, adenovirus. And the second is herpes simplex virus, or HSV. Adenovirus or herpes simplex virus. Why two different viruses? Yeah, they're different viruses, and we use them because they have different properties. So the, for the first one, the lead compound, we just want the um, virus to do two things. First, to act as the postman, to deliver this gene to the tumor cells. So there will be enzyme activity and the tablet will be activated. But the second is an adenovirus will also give a strong um, uh, induction of inflammation. It produces inflammation in the tumor. And this together leads to vaccination against the patient's own tumor. 
So people will remember from the COVID-19 uh, days that if you use vaccines, you may activate immune cells like T cells. So here we educate the T cells of the, of the patient, their own immune system, how to recognize the patient's own tumor. And as a result, the T cells ultimately become the medicine and will fight the cancer in the injected tumor, but also in the uninjected uh, metastases. So you don't need to inject all the tumors in patients who have multiple uh, tumors like metastatic disease. The second virus has a very different mechanism of action. It's an herpes simplex virus that will be very aggressive against tumor cells. It will attack the tumor cells while it spares the healthy uh, tissues. So we use the property that viruses can uh, basically make cells sick and kill them. But here the virus has been engineered in such a way that it will only eliminate and attack the tumor cells while sparing the healthy tissue. So you've got two different kinds of viruses and you're engineering them two different kinds of ways, depending on what you want to do. Yeah. Uh, now let's start with the adeno approach as it is well into clinical trials on three major cancers, prostate cancer, lung cancer, and pancreatic cancer, all three devastating conditions. Now, does it do the same thing for each of these cancers? Uh, yes, it does. It's doing the same things in all the solid tumors that we target. And that's based on the principle that we, uh, that ultimately this treatment leads to vaccination against the patient's own tumor, whether it's a prostate cancer cell or a pancreatic cancer cell or a lung cancer cell. You get a specific immune response after this treatment using the patient's own uh, immune cells. And it really doesn't matter probably um, whether this is uh, prostate cancer or pancreatic cancer. The specificity comes from the needle that will actually deliver this to the side of the tumor. So if we are a tumor, one of the reasons we're sending in this virus and then activating with the tablet is to get the signature of the tumor itself, the DNA signature of the tumor itself? Exactly. We get the, 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 let's say, the molecular signature of the tumor by injecting it. We fight the cancer with the needle, basically, and then we give the tablet, and then you, you get this very specific immune response against the injected tumor. And in patients with metastases of that same cancer type, there will be similarity, although they're not identical, the metastases. There's a lot of overlap. So the uh, T cells have been taught how to recognize this, let's say, prostate cancer. They'll also start to attack the metastases of prostate cancer in the same patient. That's the idea. So wherever the cell is in the body, if it's got that signature, the immune system's going after it. Uh, exactly. And that's the beauty of the immune system, right? So it's like a kind of the immune cells are policing all the time, right? It's like surveillance. So they migrate throughout the body looking for cells that are abnormal. And we've educated these T cells how to recognize these tumor cells. They will recognize them and eliminate them. That's the, that's the hypothesis here. Now, Let's get into the clinical trials. Your most advanced is in prostate cancer, and you've got both phase three trials, that's the final phase, and phase two trials going on. Are these two different populations of patients, or, or what's the difference? Yeah, there is, there's a slight difference here. So all of these patients in prostate cancer that we focus on at this time have early localized 
non-metastatic prostate cancer. Actually, area of huge unmet need because there's no new treatment that has been approved in this indication in the last 15, 20 years. And the reason is that it's kind of difficult to do these trials. You need to, you need to follow these patients for a long period of time until you get to your answers, because typically it's a slowly growing tumor. The good news is that most of this work we've done in the past, actually. So we are going to harvest in the near future, end of next year, what has been sown in the past. So what are the, the two sub-indications in early localized prostate cancer? If a diagnosis is made of prostate cancer, then there's a kind of risk stratification based on what is seen under the microscope in the biopsy. And there are patients who have low risk prostate cancer, there are patients who have more aggressive disease, that's intermediate risk prostate cancer, and there are patients who have even more aggressive disease, that's high risk prostate cancer. And these patients are, according to standard of care, treated in a different way. So patients with low risk, sometimes patients with intermediate risk prostate cancer, have a very slowly growing tumor. And many patients will actually elect not to start with the currently available treatments like surgery, where the prostate is removed, or radiotherapy, plus or minus hormonal therapy, uh, because of the side effects. They, they don't want to face the side effects because they have, before they have a lot of signs and symptoms caused by the cancer, right? That's not the right balance in terms of benefit risk for the patients. So these patients may, go, may choose to have a kind of wait and see approach that's called active surveillance. So basically they don't get treatment, better followed by their urologist is typical, typically the physician who's following these patients until there's progression of the disease because a slowly growing tumor is still a growing tumor or um, when patients get anxiety because they know that they have cancer but actually they're not being treated. That leads to a lot of anxiety and uncertainty. So then they may choose, okay, well, this is the moment that I want to undergo uh, that's called prostatectomy, removal of the prostate by the surgeon, or radiotherapy, plus or, or minus hormonal therapy. And so that's the first population that we are focused on, the active surveillance population. These patients want a simple intervention. And what we um, uh, imagine here is that we give in, in total two injections into the prostate in, the, in a patient's life, each followed by two weeks of the tablet, that I spoke about. The idea is that you induce a specific immune response against the patient's uh, prostate cancer, and you just wait and see. And we give patients either these two uh, active treatments or placebo, we follow them over time, and we will know whether we have changed the disease course, the, the outcome over time uh, in the, at the end of next year. So that's one indication, active surveillance population. The other are patients who have more aggressive disease. So they have intermediate to high risk prostate cancer. They will need treatment because they have more rapidly progressive disease. And they will typically get either a surgery or especially in the US, uh, this is often a radiotherapy of the prostate. But the outcomes are still not great. So prostate cancer is very common in uh, men in the US, it's the second uh, most common cause of cancer in men in the US. The first would be if you group all the skin cancers together. And although there are many treatments and treatment has been improved over time, this is still a big problem because this is still the 
second most common cause of mortality of death due to cancer in men in the US. So here we try to optimize the results of currently available treatment, let's say radiotherapy, by adding in total three injections into the prostate of our uh, lead virus, uh, each followed by two weeks of the tablet. And then the question is, over time, do we see more patients who are cured? This is what we call disease-free survival. If you give these three active injections versus placebo, a fake uh, injection, a fake virus, basically. And here again, the answer will uh, be available, we expect, at the end of next year. So two sub-indications based on the aggressiveness of the disease, as shown by, in, in the biopsy under the microscope, uh, but both in early localized prostate cancer. And to be clear, for those people on the very aggressive uh, prostate cancer trial, uh, if you're getting placebo, it is not that you're without treatment whatsoever. You're getting the current standard of care as prescribed. Yeah, this is exactly right. So the patients still get optimal standard of care, but then they get this on top of the standard of care to see whether we can further improve the outcomes over time. Now, I know that with the adenovirus, you're also in phase two trials for lung cancer and for pancreatic cancer, but I want to get on to your second approach, your second viral approach with herpes simplex. It's in phase one for brain cancer. What kind of brain cancer are you addressing? How does that trial work? And what have you learned so far? Yeah, so brain cancer is also a very difficult to treat form of cancer, like all the other tumors that we are focused on uh, at Candel. And this form of cancer is called high-grade glioma. And most of these patients will have a specific type of tumor called glioblastoma. And we have, I mean, the, the the results and the outcome are not great in this indication, but we are focused on uh, a group of patients with a more, even more unfavorable prognosis because they will have failed standard of care. So think of neurosurgery. The neurosurgeon will try to remove as much tumor as possible. These patients will, in most cases, will have received chemotherapy and radiotherapy. And then at some point, the tumor grows back. And then it becomes really difficult. Um, prognosis is very poor. It's very difficult. Uh, what do you do next, right? You, you could try another operation, another surgical procedure, which is often done. Um, but there's a huge unmet need. And that's what we are focused on with the second uh, virus, the um, herpes simplex virus, HSV. We basically inject it uh, into the tumor. In the skull, in the brain. Yeah, so what happens, I mean, for uh, I'm not a neurosurgeon, but for neurosurgeons, this is apparently not a very difficult procedure compared to operating on the brain. So basically, they drill a very small hole uh, in the skull, right? It's a very little uh, hole that they make. And then they insert a needle through that little hole. And then using imaging, they can direct it exactly into the tumor. So that's not, I mean, it sounds uh, pretty uh, horrible, um, but in light of the severity of the disease and in light of uh, the difficulty of procedures that are actually performed by neurosurgeons, it's relatively uh, simple and well tolerated. So they inject this. So what we've done so far is, uh, because this was a completely new approach, initially we only gave a single injection 
into the tumor. And then with an, an increasing number of viruses that we inject to the tumor to see whether it's actually safe to do this. Because this is a completely new approach that nobody has tried before. Because we use this virus that contains a gene, again, that is actually associated with kind of aggressiveness. So that's why everybody else has knocked this gene out. We are the first to inject an HSV containing this gene into humans, let alone into the brain of humans. But we know that it's actually under the control of a molecule that is specific for the tumor. So our hypothesis was that the virus would only be aggressive against the tumor cells, but not against the uh, healthy tissue, like the healthy brain tissue. But of course, you, you uh, although we had a lot of preclinical research showing that this was true and that it worked, ultimately you need to show that this is the same in patients. So we started with a very low dose, and then everything went well, and then we went to a higher dose, et cetera, et cetera, until we reached the highest dose. And we did not uh, observe dose-limiting toxicity, as it's called. So even the highest dose was well tolerated. We have now uh, treated um, 50 patients, and um, we have confirmed, actually, that this is well tolerated. And then we're starting to see some interesting uh, clinical results as well. Now, in this case, do these patients also take a pill, or that was back with the other virus, the adenovirus? Yeah, that's only with the, uh, with the other virus. Here, the virus itself is sufficient, actually, to start to attack the tumor cells and, again, actually produce an immune response by the patient's own immune system against the tumor cells. And now we've seen something really interesting in patients with so-called so multifocal disease. That means uh, the disease came back. But unfortunately, they had multiple tumors in the brain, so multifocal high-grade glioma. And we, as I said, initially, we only gave one injection into one of the tumors. So we did not inject the other tumor in the brain of the same patient. And what we've seen now in a few patients is that there was not only improvement in the injected tumor, but also in the uninjected uh, tumor. This is uh, called an abscopal effect. And um, that means that... Again, we are getting a result beyond the injected lesion, which is very important for the patient. Those viruses get around. That's my explanation. Uh, in this case, that is the right <laughs> explanation, actually. So for the first virus, it was more the immune system that, that goes around. But you were absolutely right, actually, because now we have the evidence to support that. Uh, so interestingly, as I said, this virus is replicating only at the site of the tumor under the influence of a specific molecule that's only expressed in the tumor, but not in a healthy tissue. So we found this virus in the tumor many months after injection. So it stays around and it starts to replicate and attack the tumor cells. We did not observe it in the healthy tissue in between, but to our surprise, actually, we did detect it in the uninjected tumor. So the idea is the virus travels around in the brain. It does not duplicate or replicate in the healthy tissue, that's why we can't detect it. But then it arrives in another tumor of the same patient. It's, it sees this abnormal molecule again, and it starts to replicate again and exert its aggressive action against the tumor. So that's the idea that we have at this moment. Now I have one last question. We put engineered viruses in our bodies for a really good yeah. reason. 
does the virus stay around forever? Do we know what happens to those viruses? We have engineered the virus, this virus, in the lead compound in such a way that it cannot replicate. You're engineering. You might also engineer a few more things. This is yeah. all, all molecular <laughs> engineering. It's, an, it's amazing what you can do, actually, right? So this virus cannot replicate anymore. That's why you don't get sick as a result of it. Actually, we killed the tumor cells as a result of this activation of the tablet. So the tumor cells that have been infected by the adenovirus are killed and the adenovirus disappears. For the HSV that we use in brain cancer, in high-grade glioma, it's very different. We have engineered this virus to, main, to keep its capacity, its capability to replicate, but only in the tumor. So the expectation is that it will stay in the tumor as long as there are tumor cells around that express that, that, um, that have this specific molecule that will regulate our virus how to rep replicate or not. But we don't expect this to, uh, uh, to stay in the healthy tissues. Of course, we will need to show that in many hundreds of patients, but based on the initial uh, data that we've seen, we see that uh, we have no concern about the safety so far. But of course, that needs to be replicated and reproduced in larger clinical trials. And that's exactly what we are doing. Well, Dr. Tack, it's always exciting talking with you. And uh, thank you so much for coming in. And I hope you'll come back and see us again. I hope so. Well, thank you so much for your time, Moira. Dr. Paul Peter Tack is the president and CEO of Candel Therapeutics in Needham, Massachusetts. More information is available at candeltx.com. That's Candel, C-A-N-D-E-L, candeltx.com. Listen to more biotech podcasts at biotechnation.com or subscribe on your favorite podcast provider. Biotech Nation is a regular feature of the weekly public radio program, Tech Nation. Listen to the full show via podcast or on your local public radio station. For Biotech Nation, I'm Moira Gunn.